Sorry, a chunk of Skippy hair just floated from heaven and just bloop on my desk. Anywho, um, question, listeners. How are y'all listening to us? Or I guess when and where is the better question. We know you're listening to us on your podcast listening platform of choice. Um, but I know for me, like, I if I listen to podcasts or audiobooks or things like that, it's on my commute to work. And like a lot of people, I don't have that anymore and haven't had that in a long time. I know. I've always also been one of those people, that's when I listen to podcasts and audiobooks. So I have not been doing it for the last five months. And it's kind of weird. But I also know a lot of people listen while they work. I'm not able to do that. Like, I just can't. Or when you're like cleaning or cooking dinner. I mean, there are times at home when there's that opportunity. But yeah, good question. When are you, What are y'all doing when you listen to us? And if you're one of those people that's like super skilled that can work and listen at the same time, how do you do that? Oh, oh, see, I do that. I have, but I have a chunk of my work that is like you go on autopilot. And so for that, that's when I listen to mostly audiobooks right now. But um, sometimes podcasts, sometimes like I'll throw a show on but it has to be a show that I like don't actually care about watching because I'm not actually watching it. I'm just listening to it. But, right. You know, if I throw on a couple episodes of Grey's Anatomy or something. Yeah. I used to do that with The Office. I would have that in like a corner of my work screen and just watch The Office all day while I was in The Office. This is years ago. Well, hi, everyone. This is Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany. And I'm Tyler. And I can listen and work at the same time, which I guess is a skill. (laughs) I guess so. So, yeah, this week's episode hits a little close to home. Little bit, um, but it's also involving something that, again, because we've been on lockdown for, I don't know, has it been 20 years now? Something like that. 22. Um, Oh, oh, right, 22, I forget. Uh, But... Not something that uh, we've done a lot recently, but something before all of this uh, happened, we did all the time. But before we get into that topic, uh, I first want to say thank you, thank you to our newest Cabernet Sauvignon convict, uh, Jacqueline Ruth. Thank you so much for joining our Patreon family. I hope you're enjoying all of the Murder Mini episodes. Hope you are excited and thinking about what your topic's going to be when you direct an upcoming episode. For those of y'all that might be saying, ooh, shit, I have a topic idea that I would love to hear them do. Check out our Patreon. Check out becoming a Cabernet Sauvignon convict, just like Jacqueline. And boom. That is one of, um, I think, for us, that is one of my favorite perks we do, because I love hearing y'all's different case ideas and episode topic ideas and being able to give you, I mean, exactly what you want. So, yes. But again, Jacqueline, thank you so, so much. Yes. Welcome to the family, Jacqueline. And while you guys are at it, after you check out Patreon, be sure you're subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, check out all the things, Google Play. Make sure you subscribe so you get notified every Tuesday when a new episode drops. All right, so this topic. This is one I picked because I feel like it's 
really become part of like almost our social fabric. I mean, the danger in this and the danger that we know we see on the news, we see articles, we hear stories about uh, people that are victims has already for a lot of us like full on changed our behavior with this. And what I'm talking about is rideshare murders. So companies like Uber or Lyft, where you're like, oh, I have had way too many drinks at the bar. I'm going to call myself a Lyft, get them to drive me home. I mean, I I know that's like my go-to. Whenever I, you know, went into the office and we had happy hours, I would be like, cool, today I'm taking the bus in and we're going to have happy hour after work. I'm going to Lyft home. Like it became just a part of it. And I mean, I, I think that's one thing that's really awesome about rideshare services is it really drills down on the now there's literally no reason for anyone to ever like have a couple too many drinks and be like, well, I literally have to how else am I going to get home? You're going to call a rideshare. Well, and that's the thing that's interesting about rideshare and especially our take on it in this episode is it's something generally looked upon as a safety precaution, something you do to stay safe. But if you are not safe when you're getting into these rides, then, you know, this convenience can turn into a nightmare. Yeah, because I think a lot of us have seen um, the different articles and stuff and really looked at comparing rideshare to taxis. And I mean, I, I think I may have ordered an actual taxi like three times in my entire life. But, you know, with taxis and stuff, there's a huge like certification and registration process that's a part of it. Well, I know back when I lived in New York, I took taxis a lot and rideshare wasn't really a thing. But now when I go back and visit, we don't take taxis. We take rideshare. We do Uber or Lyft. And it's a very interesting transition because even for those in the big cities who were already riding in a a car, you're using this other service as well. It's just like, oh, here's another option. And one thing that taxis have that rideshares don't is a taxi is a yellow cab. You know, it's a taxi. Rideshare, not all of them have the lights or the stickers or whatever. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Also, one thing I just want to note, talk about, I don't know. Um, some rideshare services are fucking weird. Like the helicopter you can get from LaGuardia to Lower Manhattan on Uber. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. But I really <laughs> want to do it. And then you see it and it's like $75. And I'm like, I mean, it's more expensive than like a cab or the subway, but... Not really. Kick a helicopter. Like, what? You know how much a cab from LaGuardia to like Midtown is? It's like 60 bucks. Okay, so listeners, if any of you, I don't, I don't know if there's other airports that have it. That's the only one I've been to and been like, oh, let's get a, let's get a ride or a helicopter. Um, we if y'all have taken it, it <laughs> what? Like, can, can y'all explain what that's like? Is it just, does the helicopter land and they're like, hi, I'm picking up Marjorie. And you're like, cool, hopping into a helicopter. I guess so. One of these days we'll do it. We'll, we'll test it out. I just feel like that level of luxury is on par with like 
you ha- already have an apartment in Midtown and also a summer home in the Hamptons. So you're, of course, you're taking a helicopter to Midtown. And yet, not necessarily. But what? <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we're not, in this episode, we're not talking about helicopter rideshare murders. Um, I don't think there's been any because that would be news. Uh, but yes, rideshare murders. But before that, before we get into our cases, uh, we need to get into our wine. So, Brittany, what wine are you drinking today? Today, I'm doing a Texas wine. I picked the 2017 Messina Hoff Cabernet Franc Barrel Cuvée from the Texas High Plains. So, Messina Hoff is a winery located in Fredericksburg. A lot of people have heard of it. You can get, I mean... Here in Dallas, like there are wines everywhere. You can find it in Austin. Ty, you should be able to find it. I've I don't, never heard of it, but yeah. I don't know if they have their wines outside of the state of Texas. So if you've ever had this wine and you don't live in Texas, let me know. But they were established in 1977. And it's a marriage of two families dating back seven generations to Messina, Sicily, and Hof, Germany. So that's how they got the name of the winery, Messina Hof. Oh. Which I thought it was someone's name. I didn't even think it could be two different cities. So, oh my god, that should be, that's my new drag name. Messina Please Hoff. welcome to the stage, Messina Hof. <sighs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, this bottle was, I believe, between 10 and $12, so it really wasn't that bad. I got it at a Kroger, and Messina Hoff, it began as an experimental vineyard with 50 different varietals of grapes. Oh, and that's a lot. Yeah, they tried a lot of different things, but thousands of awards and generations later, Messina Hoff continues to be at the forefront of the Texas wine industry. They produce 130,000 gallons of wine per year. Oh my god, that's almost as much as I drink in a year. They could give us wine for one year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so We could be their exclusive customer. They have a lot of different wines, though. They have, like, a private label. They have, they actually do, and I'll I'll go ahead and jump into this, because it, I thought it was kind of cool. So you see this label is purple. They mm-hmm. have, like, a color coding system. So this is a dry red. So their dry reds are this kind of purple color. Their semi-dry wines are green, and their dry whites are blue. So that's cool. You can just see the label and know what style of wine that's going to be. This Barrel Cuvée Cabernet Franc, it's a rich red wine bursting with blackberries, vanilla, and allspice. And it's made in the classic Bordeaux style with deep earth and pepper notes. So all of these things, you know, I love. So I'm really excited to try this. Yeah, well, when you say Cabernet Franc, I always think French. I don't even think I've ever seen a Cabernet Franc that's not from France. So a Texas one, I'm like, ooh. I've had Cabernet Francs from California and Argentina. Definitely never from Texas. But you're right. Most of them are in France because Cabernet Franc is one of the key varietals used in Bordeaux blends. So... Yeah, I think of France, too. 
So it's full-bodied, and it was aged in oak barrels to develop maturity and depth. And the bold flavors of a Cab Franc, they're good to pair with heavier meals or things with more of a funky taste, like your aged cheeses, steaks, gamey meat, mushrooms, that style of food that are very earthy and rich, basically. Ew. Ew? I hate gamey meat. A meal of gamey meat, funky cheese, and mushrooms sounds very like Game of Thrones. Uh, very much like, what's the, what's the dude who did the Red Wedding who was like Filch in Harry Potter? The phrase? They had gross-looking food, and that, (laughs) I'm just like, imagine like a full-ass rabbit on your plate, some moldy cheese, mushroom, it, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. Well, if you do happen to have a plate of gamey meat, pair it with a cab franc. Okay. So, there's actually no, um, foil on the top, so I'm going straight into this cork. I don't know why I don't ever trust myself to be, like, good at opening a bottle of wine. You'd think by now... That was a very, very faint pop, but the cork is plastic, so sometimes those don't have the loud pop. Yeah. So let's see what this baby looks like. That is much lighter than I was expecting. Yeah, and it's almost a, um, like a burgundy color, like a more brownish red. It smells like a Bordeaux, though. Like, Mm. I know this is a single varietal, but... I am smelling oak, spices, some pretty, like, punch-you-in-the-nose blackberry. Mm. This needs to breathe. I'm glad I'm opening this first because I can tell this is a mature wine, deep flavors. I'm almost getting, I can smell smoke. This wine knows how to do its taxes. It's mature. Licorice. Getting a little bit of licorice, too. Mm. So I'm going to let that open up. And Tyler, what wine are you doing in today's episode? Well, a couple of interesting things. Uh, Some of the flavors you mentioned, also in mine. And you said that you're glad you're opening yours first. um, Because, you know, it needs to breathe and stuff. Apparently mine needs to breathe too for a long ass time. We'll see though. Mine is the 2019 San Huberto Cabernet Sauvignon from La Rioja, Argentina. And I think it's been a hot minute since I had an Argentinian cab, or if I've ever done one on the podcast. I don't know. It's 118 episodes where we have a bottle of wine by the end of each, so forgive me for not remembering all of them. (laughs) Um, But one thing about this wine that I was like, ugh, that a lot of wines do is on the back when it's describing it, it has a lot of words and says nothing. Where it's like, appealing aromas, bold flavors, a pleasant finish. I'm like, okay, but like in what way? It's a cab, so I would hope it's bold, but all right. So I went to the internet to see, what do the people think? You know, I'm the people's princess. So I I spoke to my people, my country, and they they spoke back. They answered. Uh, One person said that it was a good, solid cab, well-rounded as they would expect. So, they they have standards. Uh, But the wine opened up nicely. Uh, There's earth notes, and there's this, like, cocoa kick at the end. Ooh, better 
better drag name, Coco Kick. Uh, not a lot of fruit, like a California cab, but there's some berry and some licorice flavors. Ooh, yep, there's the licorice. Mm-hmm. Another person said that it has to wait quite long, around one hour, to breathe. And no, that's too long. Um, they said after that, the front heaviness doesn't hit so hard, and the whole taste becomes more balanced. Um, which I can tell you, um, an hour from now, I will. it will be less heaviness and more balanced, but... Maybe not necessarily due to it breathing an hour, but to me having had most of the bottle. (laughs) Um, But they said the flavor was like oak, pepper, with a little bit of a coconut ending. Ooh, interesting. Coconut. And and pretty much throughout the reviews, a lot of people really focused on this lack of fruitiness and the really big, bold tannins. And there were quite a few reviews that were like, stay away from this. But... I think a lot of those were coming from people who, when they open a cab, they're expecting that big, like, juicy red fruits and a fruity cab like a California cab. And I am fine with fruity cabs, but I like a good cab that's not super, super fruity, so I'm intrigued. Yeah, this one sounds really good. Like, up my alley in the cab world. Yeah. Also, it was like $11. Nice. It's been a while since you've had not a box or a screw top. It has been. I just feel like I haven't seen you use a wine cork opener in in a while. I have no idea. But yeah, no, that th- this feels like a remembered experience, like a memory in action. Ooh. <laughs> wow. All right. That's dark. That is dark. I glugged it to get some air in. You know what I should have done is um, use my, you know, the little aerator spout I have that I've used once in the past, like, five months. I was going to ask you if you had one of those. I should have done it. Wow, that is bold in smell. Right now I'm smelling, like, the alcohol a lot. What are we, what percentage are we? Oh, 13.6. Not super crazy for a cab. Mine is actually a lot lower than I thought it would be. It's 12.7. Oh. Okay. So I guess I'm going to give this exactly zero time to breathe because I want wine now. So cheers. All right. Cheers. Wow. You would love this wine. Really? Why do you say that? It's very... Bold and strong, a lot of oak. Uh, I'm not getting like any fruit at all. Ooh-hoo. I mean, I guess like I can see where they're saying like coconut, um, but to me, coconut's not fruity like an actual coconut. No, it's more nutty. Yeah, and it has that. Um, wow, this tastes unlike any other cab I've ever had. It is definitely one that I would say is very much closer to, like, a Cab Franc. Yeah, because honestly, you could be describing the wine I'm drinking right now, because it's very... It's oaky. I'm getting these deep, deep flavors. Earth, pepper, 
It does have hints of vanilla and allspice that mix in with that oakiness to tame it out a bit. And Mm -hmm. I do get blackberries. That's probably the only fruit I'm tasting in this. Maybe a little bit. No, not blueberries, because that would be sweeter. And that's this is not sweet. You can tell. So this is one of those barrel cuvee. And they always have this more distinguished taste to them. And that's absolutely present in this wine. It just tastes like a premium step above wine. Just this very bold, full-bodied wine that you need some intense food if you're going to pair it. You know, you're. Yeah. You, this is not a wine to have with your chicken alfredo or your chicken. Yeah. <laughs> you do need, oh, a steak would be phenomenal with this wine. I should have done that for dinner. Anyway, I recommend this one. I've had another wine from Messina Hoff, I believe, just their Cabernet Sauvignon, and it was wonderful. This is one of those wineries in Fredericksburg that I totally understand why they've been around for so long and why they're doing so well in the state of Texas, because, damn, it's good. Well, all right, we have our wine. We have our topic. Brittany, what is the rideshare murder that you're sharing with me today? My case is the murder of Samantha Josephson. And I used quite a few sources. A couple of articles from New York Times, one by Jack Healy and one by Minhir Zavri, an article on CNN by Amir Vera, an article in Fitz News by Mandy Matney, and an article in ABC Columbus by Tim Scott. So like we were talking about at the top of the episode, in the last few years, there's been an increase in the number of kidnappings, sexual assaults, robberies, largely against young women by assailants posing as rideshare drivers. And there have been at least two dozen attacks, and that's just what's been reported. Who knows how many there actually have been? Mm-hmm. A couple of examples, there was a man in Connecticut who faced charges that he kidnapped and raped two women who believed he was their rideshare driver. In Chicago, prosecutors said a man who posed as an Uber driver sexually assaulted five women, climbing into the backseat and pinning them down. So these attacks turn a simple mix-up, thinking that car is your your Lyft or your Uber, your rideshare, into an absolute nightmare. And yeah, this shows how easily it is for people to exploit the vulnerabilities of ride sharing culture that so many trust, so many people trust to get them home safe. Because like we talked about, a lot of the times you will use a ride share because you've had too much to drink. And so sometimes thinking of like, like checking the license plate and like doing this, it's not the top of your, your mind. And you just, you Mm -hmm. can accidentally get into the wrong white car. Yeah. Well, and also, I know I'm someone who is very knowledgeable about like, what a Chrysler 300 looks like, or what, you know, specific cars look like. But a lot of people don't. I mean, I pretty much anytime I'm catching um, a lift with a friend or group of friends, and I'm like, oh, see if it's a Nissan Sentra. And they're like, I don't know what that looks like. I'm like, it's a sedan. But, <laughs> you know, for for me, that's like always my first check. And thankfully, a lot of um, the apps now will like show a little picture of what the car looks like. Yes. But also, if you're like real drunk, 
needing a ride home. I don't know, it's a black car. And so, yeah, making sure to check the license plate is something that's like, absolutely you should do, but is so easy to not. It is. And we trust these ride shares to get us home safe. And unfortunately, that's not always the case. So in the spring of 2019, Samantha Josephson was a senior at the University of South Carolina, and she was getting ready to graduate, and she was going to be heading to law school on a full ride the following semester. Samantha lived on campus in student housing with a couple of roommates, and her roommates reported her missing on Friday, March 29th in the afternoon around 1.30. They had all been out together the night before, but they ended up getting separated And her roommates had not heard from Samantha since. Early Friday morning, around 2 a.m., so, you know, bars close in time. This Mm -hmm. is the last time that Samantha was seen in a busy downtown neighborhood in Columbia, South Carolina. She was getting into a black Chevrolet Impala that she mistook for an Uber she had called. Columbia police started their investigation after Samantha was reported missing by her roommates And around 4 p.m. on that same Friday, there was a group of people out hunting turkeys, and they found a body. The body was about 40 feet off a dirt road in a wooded area in Clarendon County, which is southeast of Columbia by about an hour and a half. Oh, wow. The body was identified as Samantha. There was security footage taken downtown in the moments when Samantha is getting into the car. And these moments, are they're, they're haunting. They're absolutely terrifying. You can just see her doing a very normal thing that we all do, hopping in an Uber. Mm-hmm. Samantha gets into the back seat, and there are people everywhere. People are on their phones. They're hugging people goodbye, just enjoying their night. Because, again, bars are closed. Everyone's headed home. It's just your normal Friday night scene. So police had this footage, and they knew what car they were looking for. So they're trying to find this black Chevy Impala. They searched for this car that she had gotten in, and about 3 a.m. on Saturday, a Columbia officer saw the Impala and pulled them over. When the officer asked the driver to get out of the car, the driver ran. So he tried to escape, and Mm -hmm. he was quickly captured. The police now had a man in custody, Nathaniel D. Rowland, who was 24, and he recently lived nearby the area where Samantha's body was found. The police charged Rowland with the kidnapping and killing of Samantha, and when they searched the car, so obviously they searched the car before they charged him, when they searched the car, they found Samantha's blood on the passenger side and in the trunk, her cell phone was in the car, along with bleach and cleaning supplies. Oh, my God. Additionally, the child's safety locks had been engaged, which would make it extremely difficult for someone in the back seat to open the doors from the inside. You you can't. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know how child safety locks work, but on, like, older cars that have the the lock that, like, is the actual kind of stick that, bloop, goes down and up that you could still, like, pull up. Yeah, like mine. 
Oh, does yours have that? <laughs> you can't really pull it up, oh. but it is the stick thing. But I have my child safety okay. locks on, which, to be totally transparent, I'm not trying to trap anyone in the back seat, but it's because uh, Charlie can roll down the windows if I don't have... So it's more so I'm locking the windows, but yeah, I always have them on. See, in my car, it doesn't have any kind of lock on the inside that you could do that. I don't know. My... I don't understand half the things about my car. I only learned like a month ago um, that an incident from like two years prior where I walked out of my apartment and all of my windows were rolled down was not in fact someone like breaking into my car. It was apparently a you hit the this certain combination of lock and unlock on the key fob and it'll do it. I don't know. But in my car, if the child safety locks are on in the back, I don't think you can do anything because there's not a physical lock on the inside for you to grab or do anything about right the driver is in full control which i guess you would want for like actual child safety locks because you would still but it's scary to think about them being used for the wrong reasons yeah uber and lyft have been heavily criticized in the past for not adequately vetting their drivers or doing enough to ensure passenger safety which this has led to temporary bans or restrictions on the services in some cities. And those come and go. We see them all the time. Do you remember a couple years ago when Lyft and Uber had to leave Austin? Well, I didn't live here yet, but that's what I was going to ask. Is that why Austin was like no to Lyft and Uber? Yeah. It had to do with the way they were analyzing their drivers. And analyzing is not the right word, but you get what I'm saying, vetting their drivers. The city wanted certain levels of restrictions, and Uber and Lyft were doing different things. They they said they were still doing a lot. To be totally honest, it's a little bit fuzzy because I've been through a few of these rounds of Lyft and Uber leaving. And honestly, the second mm-hmm. they leave, other rideshares pop in. And so Austin was fine. We still had rideshares. And then Lyft and Uber came back and those rideshares died down because Lyft and Uber just, they monopolized the the industry. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it might've, they might've come back right after I moved here. Cause I remember having like Fasten on my phone and that was like oh, a local yeah. Austin rideshare. Mm-hmm. A 2018 CNN report found that 103 Uber drivers and 18 Lyft drivers had been accused of sexual assault or abuse. The companies conduct background checks and say passenger safety is their top priority. Uber said it has worked with law enforcement since 2017 to teach riders how to avoid imposters. And in 2018, Uber added a panic button that lets riders tap their screens and dial 911 directly from the app. Mm-hmm. To be totally transparent with you, I didn't know that. I've used Uber so many times, I had no idea it had this. It's clearly not very obvious. Yeah, I I think I knew there was something like that. But, I mean, to be honest, I haven't used Uber in a long time. I switched to Lyft a couple years ago. I generally do Lyft. I like it better. Rollins' bond hearing took place in June 2020, so literally just a couple of months ago. And this is when a lot of the details of Samantha's murder came to light. Samantha was stabbed more than 30 times with a bladed or knife-like weapon. 
after she was kidnapped from the Five Points area of Columbia on March 29th, 2019. The prosecution stated that she had stab wounds from her feet to her face, so all over her body. And the prosecution presented a pile of evidence that was stacked up against Roland, and this included Samantha's blood and hair being found in his car, Roland being seen on video using Samantha's debit card and attempting to sell her phone in the hours just after her death. Samantha's blood was also found on his clothes, um, the ones he was seen wearing on the night of the murder. The murder weapon was found at a home that Roland had visited that evening. There were cleaning products and rubber gloves found at his home, which that one I'm like, cool, those I have those in my sink right now. But in combination yeah. with all the other stuff, it's pretty suspicious. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in general, it would be weirder to not have cleaning products in your house. But yeah. The child safety lock was engaged in the car that he was driving, which was this black Chevy Impala. There was a video that showed Samantha getting into Roland's black Chevy Impala. And cell phone evidence tracked Roland and Samantha's phones in the same locations including where her body was located. Additionally, detectives found a footprint in the car on the window that belonged to Samantha, which was further evidence showing that she fought for her life in her last moments, trying to get away. The prosecution did not mention any type of motive, and that is still a puzzling question in this case, because no one knows what the link is between Samantha and Roland, and Personally, I don't think there is one. I think this was a random act. I think he saw someone in a vulnerable state and decided to take advantage of them. Absolutely. And because of all of these things, now granted, his defense attorney was like, this is a bond hearing, this is not a trial, but the judge still decided that he was a threat to society and denied bond. And this was all done during, like, it was a virtual court hearing, again, because this was a couple months ago, so this is in the the throes throes of COVID. So Roland, right now, is still in custody at the Alvin S. Glenn Detention Center, and a date for a trial has not been set. So in the months since Samantha's death, her parents have been leading a nationwide charge to educate people about rideshare safety. And they started the hashtag What's My Name movement, and they're traveling around the country to talk to colleges, police stations, and businesses about why taking just an extra second to make sure someone gets in the right car is crucial. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that Tyler and I have talked about this before, but you should not go up to the driver and say, are you here to pick up Brittany? Ask them who they're picking up say, who are you here for? Because Mm -hmm. if they're not there for you, most likely they're not going to say the right name. Yeah. Samantha's murder has forced rideshare companies to address renewed safety concerns. It's led to legislative uh, proposals and public efforts to reduce the number of attacks that are happening. And it's prompted passengers across the country to weigh the risks of climbing into a stranger's back seat. So there are some people that are like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable doing this anymore. I don't want mm-hmm. to, to take a, a ride, a, a ride share. So I'm just not going to have three drinks tonight. I'll have one and done. 
So state lawmakers in South Carolina proposed a law named for Samantha that would require all rideshare drivers to display a lighted sign for their company. And her father, Seymour Josephson, has become an outspoken advocate for stronger safety measures. And at some of the vigils that they held, he was overheard overheard saying that he doesn't want any other parents to have to go through anything like this. Yeah. And... On July 29th, 2020, the U.S. House of Representatives unanimously approved a bill that, in part, would force ride-sharing companies like Uber and Lyft to deploy this technology that would match passengers with drivers before the ride begins. Additionally, Uber sent a message to its users advising them to match the license plate, color, make, and model, and check the driver's photograph before taking a ride. Which, those are all things that you should do, but again, mm-hmm. that's a pretty hefty list. Yeah. Uh, not not that you shouldn't do it, you should, but there are, like, so I can see how easy it would be not to, like, check all, like, how many things was that? Like, four or five different things to look for. Yeah, I think it can be all too easy to maybe be rushed, maybe... It, the street's really busy and you're like, oh shit, we just got to get into the the car that's here. And for the dangers of it to not really register or feel as real or necessary as they are. Because I know if I'm on Rainy Street in Austin, yeah. I don't like Rainy Street, so I don't go there anymore. But it's so busy. It's so busy. The street that goes through it, I guess it's Rainy Street, um, is packed with people and cars and it's always full of traffic. So when you call an Uber or a Lyft, it, it can feel like it would be inappropriate to, you know, walk around the car, check the license plate, double check everything, because it's it's kind of a like, okay, get in so they can pull out and go. But you know what? If it takes five more seconds do it to do that, that is, I mean, five seconds that could save your life or at the very least, make sure that you're going to the right destination because maybe you are getting into a, a legit Uber, but it's the person, you know, two steps down who called it and well you're about to go to denise's apartment and you don't know denise (laughs) and that's not where you're wanting to go tonight so samantha's case is one of many and Mm -hmm. i'm glad that lawmakers are changing things and that rideshare apps like uber and lyft are trying to add more safety precautions but at the same time, there is a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of the rider. And you mm-hmm. you should be able to trust the company that you're, you know, taking a ride with. But unfortunately, there are imposters out there that are showing that if you don't double check these things, like I said at the beginning, and I've said multiple times, something like, a, oh, shit, I got in the wrong car could turn into you being murdered. And I don't mean to be like super dramatic, but it's real. You're getting in the backseat of a stranger's car. And it's our society has changed so much with rideshare because it used to be like, don't talk to strangers. And now literally we get in the back of their cars all the time. Yeah. 
you mentioned the LED um, lights in the cars that South Carolina now mandates. And in most of the lifts I've been in that I can remember, I think a lot of them have it, but it always makes me feel so much safer when I get into the car. And already the driver is like, hi, Tyler. But there's also that little LED lift sign that says, hi, Tyler. Which that's, you know, you make a good distinction. You want that LED light to say, hello, Tyler, because you can buy those LED lights off market that ju- and yeah. program them to say lift. So, Oh, yeah. I, w- I would only trust one that says like, my name. Exactly. And I mean, you can find, it gets really scary because you can find the stickers. You, can, It's just, again, we all have to do our due diligence and- mm-hmm. I hate to say don't trust people, but when you're getting in a Lyft or an Uber, don't have such blind faith and trust. Yeah. Well, and I think there are a lot of things about rideshare specifically that in other ways make it actually feel safer. Mm -hmm. Things like the GPS, for example. The fact that, you know, you're in your Lyft and you know if something happens and you send the alert, oh, you're... Like, it's known by the company or by the authorities if it's set up that way that, like, that's exactly where you are and where you're going. And that's something that, you know, if you're in a taxi, for example, you're not going to have. So, I don't know. Different parts like that, you know, can feel safer. And in some ways they are. But it, you know, isn't everything. And it's still really important to make sure that you are still taking your own safety into your own hands. Yes. And there are new rideshare programs starting such as Alto. Have you heard of that one? I have not. It's relatively new. I know we have it here in Dallas, but it's a rideshare service. You have an app, but they have cars. Like they all have the exact same car. It's like a small SUV. It has the Alto logo on it. And that's the only car that drivers drive. The drivers Mm -hmm. are also uniformed. And I think you can, if you have a driver that you like, I think you can stay with the same driver. Like, I think there is this level of consistency that's available to you. Now, that may not be true. I've never used it, but I feel like I remember reading that. But it just, it's another step up that... Mm -hmm helps to alleviate some of these concerns and makes it less likely that it's an imposter. I'm not going to say impossible because some people are just really good. And what if someone stole that Alto car? I mean, again, sorry, I'm not just trying, I'm not trying to sit here and instill all the fear or anything, but it's just, you got to be careful. And I'm not saying that Samantha wasn't because Maybe her lift was a black Impala and she hopped in and the only thing she didn't do was look at the license plate. You know, we don't know. She was alone in that moment Mm -hmm. and we can only see on the footage. But from her perspective, she was just hopping in her Uber and a black Chevy Impala is not an uncommon car. No. It's scary, but I know it may sound like a laundry list of things, but, you know, do them. Yeah. I mean, you know what's one thing I would like to see? Um, And I don't know if there would be legal repercussions or anything about it, but if you could have like a a gender filter or something for Lyft or Uber, because I know for me, I feel a lot more comfortable when I have uh, women 
as my drivers. And I know, obviously, that, um, you know, women still murder and do crime. Right. But for me, I feel a lot safer. And I know for a lot of my female friends, they also feel a lot safer because... I mean, for me, the worst experience I've ever had in a lift that my driver was a woman is she was blaring a Christian, the Christian radio station as she was taking us to the gay club for my birthday. (laughs) And the worst experience I've had with male drivers is feeling very uncomfortable and protective for my female friends that were in the car with us. And uh, I don't know. It's a big difference. Yeah. So that is the case of the murder of Samantha Josephson. And I'm glad that her murder, it has had some positive things come out of it. It's extremely unfortunate. But as, you know, her dad was saying, if she were here today, number one, she'd be really embarrassed that her name is everywhere because she doesn't like attention. But she would be glad that what happened to her is bringing about positive change. Yeah. It's just... It sucks that far too often for good things to happen, something truly horrific has to happen first. That is all too often the case. So Tyler, what is your rideshare murder? So mine's a little different, and it's kind of the other side of rideshare murders, which you'll see. Mine is the murder of Christina Hawato. And the sources I used, an article from the Washington Post by Lindsay Bever an article from AZ Central by Brianna Frank, the GoFundMe page for the family of Christina Hawato, an article from AZ Family by the AZ Family staff, a BuzzFeed News article by David Mack, a People.com article by Chris Harris, and an article from ABC 15 Arizona News by Kelsey Blazer. So, Christina Huato, she is a 39-year-old mother of two sons. They're two and four. And she's also pregnant. She's in her third trimester with her third child, and it's going to be her first daughter. I already am hating yours and so sad. Like, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, it's, um, it's heartbreaking. So Christina, she drove for Lyft in Tempe, Arizona to support her family. And like a lot of drivers, she felt a part of the Lyft community. And that's, I mean, a lot of different drivers for rideshares like Lyft or Uber, they get together. I mean, they're kind of co-workers. They're this community. And so she had a lot of friends that are other drivers. They'd like get coffee together, share stories. And Christina was known as just like the sweetest person that anyone had ever met. She was super close with her family, especially her sister, who was just so excited uh, to be, you know, having a niece soon. Yeah. She has a couple nephews and she's like, I'm going to be an aunt to a niece. I know. Ready for a girl. So, about one in the morning on January 27th, 2019, Christina, she's driving for Lyft around Tempe, and she gets a pickup request from a customer. And, I mean, it's a typical request. It's late at night, it's 1am, but it's a weekend night, it's early in the morning on Sunday, and it's a college town. So, you know, people who 
you know, partied or went out Saturday night. It's now Sunday morning. They're ready to go home. And the customer, 20-year-old Fabian Durazo, he'd requested a ride to an apartment complex that was like a half mile or mile away. So it's kind of very typical. There's nothing unusual about this request. And she's like, okay, cool. Going to pick up my next customer. Right. And she picks him up. And for the most part, the majority of the ride's pretty typical until she got closer to the apartment complex where she was going to drop him off. As she, like, started pulling up towards it, Fabian is in the backseat and he just pulls out this big kitchen knife. Oh my god. Yeah. He leans over and he just starts stabbing Christina over and over while she's driving. Oh my god. Christina, she's being stabbed, she pulls the car over, she stops the car, and she gets out. She's trying to escape from him. But he followed her out of the car, and he kept stabbing her. And she, like, fell in the street, and he just, like, kept stabbing her while she was on the ground. I don't I have no words. This is horrifying. Yeah. Fabian then jumped into her car and he drove away leaving her just like bleeding out in the middle of the street so because she was next to this apartment complex people who lived there they could hear her screaming from outside and christina she got up and she made her way to the nearest house and was screaming for help and one of the residents i don't know i think they lived in the apartment complex Um, they came out, I think quite a few people came out to be like, what the hell is happening? Um, they ran over to her and this resident asked her like, what happened? And she told them that she'd been stabbed. And so the resident is like trying their best to help her and asked her like where she was stabbed. And Christine is just like all over. She was stabbed everywhere. Pretty soon after that, Christina lost consciousness. This is such an interesting perspective that you've taken us down because when we talked about this topic and obviously all throughout my case, we're thinking about the safety of the riders and you flipped that around and we're talking about the drivers and that is not something that we often think of. You always think of it in the perspective of, oh, you're getting into a stranger's car, not you're letting strangers into your car. Which I find interesting that I didn't think of that because there for a little bit years ago when I was in Austin, when I was like, shit, I really need some extra money. Maybe I should be a Lyft driver. I had a friend who was doing it. And I was like, yeah, I could totally do that. But, and then I was like, no, I am a female and I know the times to make money. And I don't want drunk men in my back seat. Or even I don't want people puking in my car. Like there was that thought too. But there was that level of fear of my safety as a driver. Yet when you think rideshare murders, the driver is not what pops in your head. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people and for the companies, a lot of the um, PR and movement is really focused on the safety of riders, which is, 
I mean, as we learned in your case, I mean, it's so important. It is. Not learned in your case, but as you spoke to. But also, I mean, the drivers, they're just people who, like you said, are letting strangers into their car. And for a lot of companies, um, I know like Uber and Lyft, if you're a driver, you're not allowed to have um, a gun in your car, which makes sense. Um, But I know some companies restrict even having like pepper spray or anything like that. Really? Even still. Yeah. And I mean, pepper spray is illegal in, I think, quite a few states. What? Is it illegal in Texas? No. There's no way. I mean, no. I think you've gone to like Walmart to get pepper spray, haven't you? I used to have some. I've never bought it myself. Someone gave it to me. But Mm -hmm. yeah, there are quite a few places where like pepper spray is illegal. I don't maybe it's not now. But I mean, I'm sure it is because this was just a couple years ago. But yeah. And also, if you think about it, you know, you're the driver. Your back is to this person. Yeah. At all times. So, I mean, there's that level of unsafety, I guess. And while the drivers go through background checks and there's that level of safety feature, Riders don't. That is such a good driver. That is such a good point, Tyler. I didn't even think about that. You could be picking up anyone. And literally all you know as a driver is their face and their score. Right. As a rider. That's it. Well, now I just literally want to drive myself everywhere. Although right now, like we talked about at the beginning... It's been a long time since I've taken a ride share because of COVID and I don't feel comfortable getting in someone else's car. But this is really going to make me think about how I approach ride shares in the future. Yeah. And it just, yeah, when I was doing my research for this topic, I also went on the initial track of, you know, people, riders that were murdered by a, a driver But when I found this case, I was like, this is also a really important lens. You know, as much of, as much as because I think we and most people are not drivers, we think of ourselves as in the perspective of the riders, of the people getting into the cars. But the drivers are just people too. And it's not hard. And it's, in a lot of places, really encourage, you know, hey, you need to make some quick money, you know, become a driver. You know, it's a great way if you're working part time or you have these hours, you want to make quick buck, be your own boss, become a driver. I mean, I I see things in Austin all the times that are like, become a Lyft driver and earn 600 bucks after your first like 20 rides or whatever. I don't know what the specifics are. Yeah. But I mean, it's just people too and yeah so with all the residents that had heard christina and come out to help police and ambulance were immediately called and christina was rushed to the hospital but there both she and her baby were pronounced dead she didn't even make it no she lost consciousness before the police and ambulance got there and 
never came back from it. That she had too many stab wounds. These are the things that I often think about when we do cases, because just last week I did a case where Kevin, it was a survivor story. Kevin had been stabbed 37 times and he survived and his injuries were horrific, but enough of them weren't in crucial areas. And so they were Mm -hmm. able to save him. Christina's stab wounds were clearly in crucial areas where there was no hope because she was going to bleed out. Like Robin, in your case, like it hit his aorta, the bullet Mm -hmm. last week. I just, we have said this. We actually haven't said this line in a while, but dying is one of those things that is difficult yet easy. And it's scary. That is a very scary statement. And it's all about where and how, and it just. Yeah. I mean, again, you can get shot through the brain and survive, and you can also trip on the sidewalk and die. The human body is so complicated and stuff. Yeah. Complicated, complex. Yeah. This breaks my heart that she didn't even, she didn't even have the chance, you know? She was, no. they they couldn't even try to save her because once they were there, it was already too late. Yeah. I mean, she, it must have only been a couple minutes max. Right. That it went from the beginning of her being stabbed to her falling unconscious. Yeah. And I'm happy at least that, you know, when she went unconscious and when she died, she was surrounded by people out there to help her but it it's such a small and i mean really grasping at straws kind of consolation because at the end of the day yes you know she was surrounded by people helping her and wasn't alone but she still was stabbed to death and lost her baby and was in her third trimester like her entire family and her they're Like, any day now, basically. I know. This wasn't just the murder of one, it was the murder of two. It was the murder of two. Um, Because I know Arizona, I want to say it's in all of the U.S. If a pregnant woman is murdered and she's in, like, her third trimester. Yeah. counts as double homicide i think there might be different uh like levels of like when i I guess of like how long you are yeah yeah um but yeah this i mean this was a double homicide so police after christina's attack and her murder they immediately started trying to find fabian durazo and Once they realized that he had gotten away by stealing Christina's car, they knew they were going to be able to track him because Christina was a Lyft driver and her car had GPS. He was kind of a stupid murderer, thinking he could steal a Lyft driver's car. Literally, unless you're stealing, like, a government or maybe certain company vehicles, you're literally stealing a car that is being tracked by... By a company openly. Yeah. So, not not smart. 
So with this, multiple agencies became involved. And it took a few days, I assume, you know, getting the contacting Lyft, letting them know what happened and like working with their legal department and everything to get the information. Um, and then also working with a bunch of different police agencies. There was a shit ton of people involved. But a few days later, they found the car. They were able to track it down and find it. And it was speeding down the interstate about 150 miles from Tempe and headed towards the California border. And it was just outside the town of Quartzite, Arizona. So once police found the car and were able to like full-on track it, they deployed spike strips on the road in front of the car to um, stop it. And spike strips, you know, the things that you drive over it shreds your tire so you can't go anywhere. And those spike strips, the, the chase came to an end. Fabian initially refused to get out of the car at first, but eventually complied with the police officer's orders. And he was detained and booked into the La Paz County Jail without bail. And under questioning, he admitted to stabbing Christina and taking her car. So Fabian Durazo, he was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and one count each of kidnapping, car theft, and armed robbery. But to this, he pled not guilty at, like, the initial sentencing hearing. And when I was going through my sources, I could not find any date of trial or really any updates since 2019. So I'm imagining that they may have, you know, scheduled the trial for this summer and with COVID it got delayed or something, but his trial has yet to start. That or he took a plea deal. I don't think so, because I feel like that would be in the news. I mean, like literally the last news story I found, there was one from like January of this year that mentioned he had, he was also being charged with arson from like a week or two before murdering her. But as far as any kind of like trial updates or um, him pleading guilty or anything, no. The last update I have there is that he pled not guilty at like his sentencing hearing. Well, and it takes longer than we make it sound for trial dates to be set. There's a reason these things Mm -hmm. take years and years. Trial dates are set, you know, there's already a queue and it can, Mm -hmm. like I said, it could just take a really long time. Well, and I mean, in a lot of cases, it, it needs time to collect evidence and go over everything and be able to build a solid case. In others, there's a lot of evidence. I mean, in your case, I was kind of shocked about how much evidence and like, oh, shit, no, there's literally like no question. Yeah, in the bond hearing, they had all of that. And I will say my case was very fast paced, although they're still at that point in time where his trial has yet to be scheduled. And... Like you said, I mean, his defense has to have time to build up their argument. That's a part of our system. Mm -hmm. That's justice. Yeah. And who knows when that trial will take place. And in regards to motive, there's not much that he's said about it. It, 
it pretty much seems like his motive was he wanted to steal her car. That's stupid. That's fucking stupid. So a few days after Christina's murder, about two dozen Lyft drivers held a memorial procession for her. The drivers, they used their hazard lights, and they drove slowly through the town where they, you know, when they got to the end of it, they lit candles and spoke about Christina. And, I mean, like a funeral procession. And a lot of these drivers, again, were her friends. Her friends that she'd get coffee with and stuff, because she's part of the Lyft driver community. And a lot of the people involved, I mean, were talking about and having conversations about the safety of drivers, because there's not a lot. And I know that Lyft and Uber, like, they do have some safety features now. And I've seen at some advertisements in the past few months um, talking about safety features specifically aimed towards both drivers and passengers. Yeah. But there's definitely not a ton. And it's kind of one of those things that I think a lot of people see it as for a lot of the things that protect, that are set to protect the passengers. Like, oh, you can't carry a gun or like, you know, restricting pepper spray or things like that are also, you know, for the drivers themselves, they're not able to have that protection. That is true. And vice versa. I mean, a lot, a lot of the safety procedures don't have the kind of like double-edged sword thing. But again, I mean, just the general business model, unless you did a thing of, I don't know, before you can sign up for Lyft or Uber as a passenger, you have to go through a background check. You're still, as a driver, always going to be picking up strangers. And you're going to be letting strangers in your car with who knows what motive. So Christina's sister is raising her two nephews, and she created a fundraiser, a GoFundMe, for her sister's funeral and help support Christina's children. And that is the case of the murder of Christina Huato. I'm glad you shared her story and I'm glad you took a different angle. Yeah, this was definitely one of those cases. And I mean, I'm sure a lot of you could tell by how many sources I used that it's not a super well-known one. Yeah. I mean, I had to do a lot of looking at different local news sources and, and the initial news story of you know a pregnant driver being murdered by a passenger that i found in quite a few places in things like people and buzzfeed more like wider and larger scale news organizations but as far as like the details of who she was and what happened you know after that one day yeah that took a lot of digging and there's still a lot of information that I I want to know more. Mm-hmm. But it's it's definitely one of those cases that I really like when we're able to do cases like this on the podcast that are ones that people haven't heard of before. Me too. Because Christina's story needs to be told and needs to be heard. Yeah. So listeners, please be safe in your rideshare. And if you're doing them right now... Please, please wear a mask. 
please wear a mask. I know, I mean, I've seen, because I watch a lot of Hulu, I've seen a lot of the commercials that Uber's doing that are like, no mask, no ride. Really? Yeah, it's it's a really well done commercial that it's just like a bunch of different people's faces, like going from like one person to another. And it's like, Denise protects Ahmed. Ahmed protects Shangela. I've also been watching a lot of Drag Race, so. There you go. There you go. But, um, and then it ends with like, no mask, no ride. I'm like, yes, because again, fucking strangers into your car. Yep. And I know at least one thing I have been using ride shares for the last few months is ordering food because I'm just, I'm trying, it's not about laziness. It's about keeping local restaurants in business and helping them. Like Jack in the Box. You know, sometimes it's <laughs> 1 a.m. and I want some churro bites and I just want to feel disgusting. So it might be Jack in the Box. But one of the things like Uber Eats does is when you order, you can see what precautions is my is my driver taking. And I I think every time they the drivers like either sign up for a day or probably not for each delivery, but they have to like fill out a checkbox of like, I'm wearing a mask. And it includes different things like clean, like cleaned and sanitized my car or it like is wearing gloves and things like that. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling this. I didn't even think about that as far as food deliveries are concerned, but it's a good point. Yeah. I mean, by and large, as far as coronavirus is concerned, like food delivery and transfer through that is not, is not that easy of a transfer. Right. Like, infectious wise especially if you do the like leave it at my doorstep so you don't actually have to have that people contact which i do that all the time now i don't i don't go meet them because it's another unnecessary like person person contact that i'm avoiding and i haven't seen a person in months well Um, uh, i will see you in two days you will see me in two days I'll wear my mask. But I guess I'll say I haven't seen a stranger in months. (laughs) True. But... I don't know what another person's face looks like anymore. (laughs) Well, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hop on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review us. Give us those five stars. Let us know what you thought. We love reading your reviews. Yes. And also make sure to like and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook instagram twitter check us out to get all our social media updates our instagram is obviously the most fun because i don't know about you instagram is of social media the only one that i like actively use actively enjoy yeah i'm not even gonna say actively use i think (laughs) i post like i'll go through a spurt of like two or three photos in a couple days and then not post for eight months so you know but I mean, Facebook, I never post, and I'm just, I am there to know when it is people's birthdays and to keep up with, like, family members and friends I don't text with. And I don't even have a Twitter. But I do get on Instagram every day and just look at other people's things. I'm a lurker. That's all I am. I'm a lurker. You're a lurker? Also, not all I am. Jesus, that sounded (laughs) self-deprecating. No, no, no. I'm just a lurker. No, let's not call you a lurker. We'll call you a consumer 
of content. You just don't produce the content. Yeah. You know what? Yes, I'm the audience. Okay. (laughs) I'm a representative sample. And I'm providing a viewership data. So you're welcome. Uh, But yeah, if you want to provide viewership data, but also, I don't know, chat with us, comment on our things, send us fun messages. Um, We love hearing from y'all. So yeah, follow us. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We also have a website if you want merch. If you want to wear... Right now, I'm wearing our Blood and Wine t-shirt. You are. Heather Gray, I think, is what it is. It's the best one. The best t-shirt. It's it's so good. It's so soft. It's one of my go-tos. I have, like, 15 t-shirts, but I have, like, five that are just in rotation. You know the shirts that you're like, this is in my laundry every week. It's one of those. (laughs) Mine is, too. Um, (laughs) It's just so comfy. And also, like, ask me about it. All the people you're I'll tell you all about blood and wine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I mean, all the all the times I'm on a work video conference call, and you can just see just the top of it, just see blood and wine. Yeah, no one ever they asked know. me about mine, but you know, a lot of my coworkers know about the podcast already. So there's that. Yeah, um, but yeah, check it out. Check out our merch. And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.